Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of It Ain't Week to Speak. My name is Sam Webb and I'm here to share some of the most epic conversations I get to have with some of the most fascinating people on our planet. Every episode is dedicated to elevating the conversation around mental health because it ain't week to speak. I'm a massive believer that a conversation could change and save a life for the better. Thank you for joining me on this journey. Here we go. Here we are, guys, back on the podcast. Thanks so much for being back here with me. I'm always excited. I'm always grateful for your time. If you're new here, welcome. You've definitely landed in a great community, that's for sure. I'm happy that we're able to get downloaded in many countries all around the world. So wherever you are right now, I hope that the sun is shining or it's a beautiful night out there and you're doing well. Seriously, I really do hope that. And I hope that you're having a great start to your year. That being said, I am so excited to bring you and introduce you to our next guest onto the podcast. Now, before I do, like always, if you like the podcast, all right, if you're enjoying the content, you're enjoying what I'm speaking about, what our guests are offering, the value that they're giving us, and the kindness of their heart, the time that they give us to explain some of their life and their goals and their aspirations and their breakthroughs and their setbacks and everything else in between. If you like it, please subscribe to the podcast. It will take you one second. Please rate it. Please seriously rate it in your app right now. Pick up your phone. takes five seconds. Review it. Rate it. Subscribe to the podcast because what that actually does is you're helping us get this podcast on a grand scale getting it in other areas of the world where people probably really need to listen to this. And hopefully you can do your part along with all of us to make a difference somewhere in the world. So please rate, review, subscribe to the podcast because it will help us climb the podcast charts, which will mean we'll be seen more. On that note, this podcast is one you don't want to miss. So strap yourselves in. I've got a guest on the podcast today. His name is Jacob or Tiz, or better known for Tito Ortiz. Now, if you're a UFC fan, this guy is a Hall of Famer. He literally was inducted as the ninth UFC fighter into the Hall of Fame. He has fought the OGs of UFC, from Rashad Evans to Vita Belfort, Forrest Griffin. The guy has fought Chuck Liddell, Ken Shamrock. You name it, this guy's been there. Even Randy Couture. Now, if you're a big UFC fight fanatic, This is the episode you don't want to miss. Now, if you're not a big UFC fan, the wisdom that Tito is bringing to this podcast is one you definitely don't want to be missing out on. He talks about how he showed up in the ring, how he endured a comeback from consecutive losses, what it was like when he was at the top of his fighting career, 
living the life or what we think from the outside, living the greatest life. He talks about his setbacks, the things that got him on rock bottom. You know, how he had suicidal ideations at one point in his career. The constant need to please the fans and to please the people around him. The pressure that he was taking into the ring, outside of the ring. And, you know, the vast majority of what goes on behind the closed doors that people will never know about. They only see the great things around fighting and living this high life. And we talk about all of that. We talk about the importance of visualization, how you can visualize success before it actually even happens and how powerful that actually is and how it transcends into reality. The list will go on, but this guy is an absolute honor to have on this podcast. He's a gentleman. He's a family man. He's a great father. He's a really good role model for the community, and he's an all-around great guy achieving great things post his UFC career, but definitely don't want to miss this. Get onto the podcast. Let's go. Well, mate, welcome onto the podcast, Tito Ortiz, brother. It is an absolute pleasure having you on here, mate. No doubt, a vast majority, and I'll say that with an honor, a vast majority of our listeners would have heard of who you are and the success that you've had absolutely in and out of the Octagon or the UFC. But, mate, Welcome. I'm so grateful to have you here. Appreciate it, man. Thank you very much. And actually, I spent some time in Australia for two weeks, and I didn't want to leave. Everybody there were amazing people, very generous, very generous of their time, kind, caring people, kind of like here in Florida. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, mate, it's good. And it's funny because a lot of people either love, like absolutely love, especially from America, they love Australia. They think it's unreal, and I'd move there, and I'd live there. Or a lot of people, and when I say a lot, not as many as the people that like it, but people like, yeah, nah, it was good. I'll probably never go back. It was too long a plane ride. Food's not as salty as it is in America. And yeah, it's probably not my cup of tea. Nah, it was great for me. I loved it. The food was amazing. A lot of seafood. It was good. Sushi was amazing there. But just the, once again, as I say, the people there were just amazing, outstanding individuals. Yeah, nah, that's good to hear, man. And we say the same about the majority of people in America and pretty much all over the world, man. But anyway, long story short, great to have you here, man. So much to cover, so much to talk about. Me in particular, I'm a massive fan of fighting from boxing to UFC. So I'm particularly interested and I'm sure the guests are particularly interested, or I should say the listeners are particularly interested to hear about where it all started for you. Like, obviously you're a a Hall of Fame, a UFC fighter, but that doesn't happen overnight. Like, where did becoming a fighter happen for you? Like, was it a thought that you had as a young kid? Was it something you had to, yeah, where did it start? You know, I think being a fighter in general, every person has a fighter heart in you know, one way or another. As a kid, fighting for food. <laughs> well, my brother's stealing it from me. I don't know. <laughs> I think it really started in wrestling. I wrestled my freshman year in high school. started varsity my first year. And it just, the harder I worked, the better I became. And I realized that I could transition that into life in general when I got into college and I got into the UFC. But in the wrestling room, as I learned hard work, dedication, a schedule, you know, what a kid really needed. And I was a kid who didn't have parents that were really there for me. You know, my mother took me away from my father when I was 13 and gave me another opportunity at life. And that's when I found wrestling. For all my hardcore fans, they know my true name is Jacob. And in the Bible, Jacob wrestled against an angel. The angel beat him and saved his life. Well, I found wrestling and saved my life. 
And growing up, I've always watched professional wrestling. I'm watching guys like Hulk Hogan, Macho Man Randy Savage, Tito Santana. And I wanted to be a star like that. And I walked into the wrestling room as a freshman thinking, where's the ring at? The coach laughed at me. He's like, no, this is a totally different type of wrestling. This is collegiate. I go, but can I slam the guy? And he's like, yeah, you actually get the points for it. Well, that's when I was all in. And I worked my butt off. I got into varsity wrestling. Had to get good grades, so education was important up to a point to be eligible to wrestle. So I graduated with a 3.75 and took a year off, thought that I'd be a big man on campus and take over the world. You kind of realize this world is vicious. This world is hard and you got to work for everything. Got into drugs a little bit when I was 19 and come to realize one of the nights that I met one of my assistant coaches at Golden West Junior College, a college I ended up going to. He asked me, he goes, Tito, you doing okay? And I was like, yeah, I'm doing fine. He's like, you don't look so good. I'm like, what do you mean? I look fine. Not to realize that I almost became an addict. I was 6'3", the height I am now. I was 185 pounds. Right now, I walk around about 230, 235. So I had a problem. I looked in the mirror that night, and I came to realize I'll turn into my father, and I had to make a difference. I had to make a change. I worked for a moving service at the time, Allied Moving Service, that we moved homes, and I was working 16-hour shifts. And one of my buddies kind of said, here, try some of this. And it was methamphetamine and I got addicted to it. And it was hard because I had to check the reality of my life of, am I continue what my father did or am I going to do something different? And that day scared me. And I, I looked in the mirror and I said, don't become your father. And I have these talks all the time with myself with all kinds of things in life in general that I do, you know, just being responsible for my actions. And I called my work that Monday morning and I said, I can't come in today. I'm going to go see you about this going back to school and wrestling. I said, well, if you don't come into it, you're fired. And I know we don't quit on anything I do. And it just was a fork in the road for my life. I wanted to see what education I could get out of it and get back into wrestling. Well, I walked into the wrestling room and I told the guy I quit for the uh, job I was doing. I said, I quit. And that morning I walked into the wrestling room and the coach had a big smile on his face. He was like, I didn't think you're going to show up. And I said, coach, I don't want to become my father. And he was like, wow. And that year I won the state title as a freshman. How old were you at this stage? Like, how old are you? So when you went down the realm of, you know, potentially being like on the drugs and all that sort of stuff and being exposed to all that, how old? Yeah, 18 and 19, I just graduated high school. And it was probably about like nine months into it, 10 months into it. And I came to realize that I was making the right decisions. I was just hanging out with the wrong people. And once again, later on in life, I come to learn that the people you hang out with is who you become. And I had to make the difference. I had to make the change. I had to be responsible for my actions. And I was. I a big How did you realize that though? Like at such a young age and you said that you didn't have a father figure and in your life that was a good role model. Like how do you make that decision at 18 that you're going down the wrong route? Because a lot of people go down that route and they don't know, they don't know that that's the wrong route. You know what I mean? I think a lot of it comes down to questioning yourself. I grew up watching movies a lot. I grew up watching, you know, hate and love and a family and the white picket fence, the beautiful home and a beautiful house and cars and beautiful wife and beautiful kids. And that's what I wanted for my family. I never got that. So I wanted that. And that's what I was. My, my desire was to have happiness, was to have a beautiful wife, was to have beautiful kids who were smart, intelligent, hardworking, dedicated, because that's what I went through through wrestling that got me where I was to that point. And I don't know if it was God, I don't know if it was just myself who taking responsibility, but I kind of realized that I had to take responsibility and I did. I took the responsibility of going back to college and getting my education, getting my A degree. There was a guy by the name of Tank Abbott who fought in the UFC. And this is back in UFC six, seven, eight, nine, ten, 11, 12. I think he fought. 
and he needed a wrestling partner. So I started wrestling with him and his wrestling coach was my high school wrestling coach. And there was a guy who fought in the UFC, Jerry Bolander. And I wrestled him in high school and I told him, like, I think it was like a post-match. And I come to realize that, hmm, if I could do that to him and this Jerry Bolander guy is winning the tournaments in the UFC, maybe I could give it a try. Well, UFC wow. 13, May 30th, 1997, I competed. That was against Al Britton, right? Al Britton? Was that your first fight into UFC 13 and 97 against Wes? Wes, is it Al Britton? Yes, Wes Al Britton, that's correct. Al Britton, yeah. I fought for free. I'm the only UFC fighter in UFC history to fight for free. Because at that You're time, kidding. Was, on that time, I was in a college scholarship. So if I competed in a sport that had a correlation with wrestling, then I couldn't do it. Well, that had correlation with wrestling. So I talked to the coach and he said, well, you can't do it. I go, well, if I don't get paid, can I do it? He's like, you want to do that? And I was like, yeah. Once again, that was just the challenging part of myself of knowing that, you know, maybe I can do something good with this. Maybe I just want to have fun and, and competing against another man. And I trained for about nine months. Then I competed on May 30, 1997 as an alternate. And I stopped the guy in 22 seconds, uh, West Britain. found myself in the finals. And as a kid growing up, they didn't have parents there and always wanted the attention, always wanted the love. Uh, I was getting it from my fans and I was hooked. I was hooked, line to sinker. I was all in. And I went back to the junior college to finish my year off, ended up getting a full ride to Cal State Bakersfield, was a division one wrestling to compete. And me and the coach didn't see eye to eye. We we're always battling back and forth. I was one of the older kids on the team. And, you know, I had a record, I think it was like 19 and eight or something. I got wins for him, but, you know, I got a lot of losses, too. But at the same time, I, I had a factor that I wanted a coach to respect me and to teach me as a student, not try to make an example of me. And he was trying to do that to me. He tried to do that to a couple of other wrestlers that were on the team that were friends of mine. I just couldn't handle it. So it was either me kicking his ass and going to jail or packing my stuff up, moving back down to Huntington Beach. And I tried to attack this dream that I've had of being a world champion. And a year and a half later, I became the world champ. I was very fortunate, but the hard work did pay off, you know, and I look back now and it's been 25 years of competing and I still got my, you know, I still got my wit about me. You know, my, my motor skills are amazing. Everything's great. I mean, I feel better than I do now than I did in my thirties. But once again, it's just eating healthy, you know, living a clean life, working my butt off. You know, my New Year's resolution this year was actually to train. This last year, I took a full year off. First time, gosh, in 25 years that it happened. A year off what? Like what? Training altogether? Altogether. Not even going to the gym, nothing. Just enjoy enjoying family time. And I've really got an opportunity to kind of enjoy it to now. It's like I look in the mirror and I actually got a little bit on my belly. I normally don't have that. Normally I have have an eight pack. And I was like, all right, it's time to start working. So New Year's, I started working with my sons and just doing some road work and, you know, trying to get back into a little bit of shape. But, you know, through my UFC career, I just learned so much. You know, I, I pretty got a master's degree in promotion. Just of, I was a part of a company that was so young in an infant stage at the time that I had to educate the fans on what the sport was truly about. And I was glad that Lorenzo Fertitta and Frank Fertitta purchased the UFC and gave us fighters an opportunity. You know, Dana White was my manager at the time. Yeah, the- talk to me through that. Like, So who owns the UFC? And obviously, you've seen it evolve over the years. Obviously, you've been in this industry for a long time. 97, you started. We're at 2023 now. Like, when you first started, when you first signed a contract with the UFC for a firefight deal or whatever that looked like for you, talk me through that. Can you talk us through that? How does that work with your manager, like Dana White and the people well, who own the UFC? Yeah, well, I mean, in the very beginning, before Dana was my manager... 
and this was before I was even the world champion. The first time I fought for money, it was for $7,500. I fought Jerry Bowling for $7,500. And it was a three-fight deal. And I beat Jerry Bolander, then I beat Guy Metzger, and then I fought Frank Shamrock for the world title. I lost to him at the end of the fourth round. And it was due to inexperience, I think. You know, I was a young kid still at the time, still learning the processes of mixed martial arts. I wasn't really a mixed martial arts. There was wrestling. There was shoot fighting. There was kickboxers. And guys kind of made up in the middle. And we started understanding to learn of what mixed martial arts was all about, of doing takedowns, doing kicks, punches, submissions, and everything, and putting it all together. And, of course, dieting, weight training. There was just so much. It's like a Rubik's Cube of mixed martial arts. You had to put all the colors matching to win the game. And it was challenging a lot of times. But when Dana came to me, I was the world champion. I just beat Vanderlei Silva. And then I was fighting against Yuki Kondo, and they were in talks of buying the UFC. And then they finally bought the UFC, and I fought, was it Evan Tanner for my second title of defense? And they kind of put an explosion on the sport in general. They rebranded it. It wasn't the, you know world's most dangerous men in there, two men enter, one man leaves type of thing. They were turned to a sport and I was a part of that progression. And it was amazing just to see from then till now how much has progressed and how much has grown throughout the world. They have really put their business moniker together the right way to understand of what business was at the same time, but building the sport on our backs of the fighters. It's crazy though, hey, because like, didn't it all be like start with the ultimate fighter? The show, the reality TV show, is that where it started? Or is no, that kind of like actually with no. the Gracies? It started with the Gracie, Gracie family, and then Bob Meyer was from New York. He was in entertainment, and they kind of joined forces and they said, "Let's get this jujitsu together, do it no holds bar, where there's no rules, and with the entertainment value, and put it together." And when I got on the stage, where I had bleach blonde hair, flames on my <laughs> yeah, shirt, yeah, sorry, right. you know, I had to find a character that everybody could associate with. You know, I was a Huntington Beach bad boy. I would talk shit, but I would back it up when it was fight time. And you'd sell fights. You'd sell fights. The three rules that I have of talking shit. You don't talk about a person's family. You don't talk about a person's country. And you don't talk about a person's religion. Those are my rules. I've always stuck to those things for my 25 years career. And I always attacked strictly the fighter who I was fighting. I never talked about their fans. I strictly talked about just them. And I attacked them. It was mental warfare. You know, just the psychological stuff that went on. It's such a lonely sport when people don't realize it. When you're training six days a week, eight hours a day of putting in the time, when you got to go to bed, you got to wake up and do the same thing over the next day. You don't have a team. You don't have a quarterback. You don't have a defensive back. You don't have a defense. You don't have an offense. You're all of it. And you got to put in the work to make sure that stuff happens. And it's challenging. It's lonely. But the gratification that you get and the goals you go through and achieve are just so satisfaction that. You can't explain it unless you're a fighter. No one understands what it is to be a fighter unless you're a fighter. You know, they can sit on the couch and drink beers and eat pizza and say, oh, I would have done this and I would have done that. You don't understand how much pressure and how much just things that go through your mind to become a fighter, to get in there and step in a cage against another man who has the same skills as you, or sometimes they don't, or sometimes they have better skills than you and still compete. It's, it's challenging to wake up that in that morning after weighing in. And, you know, I would cut 15 to 20 pounds to make the weight, and that was tough. I learned that through college wrestling, but to get up in the morning and to turn on the music and to go, all right, today's fight time. You feel like a gladiator. You feel like, you know, you, you can't let down all your fans. You can't let down your family. You can't let down your friends. And you got to go out there and you got to perform. And that was always what my mindset is going in with the positive mentality, going in that I know what I'm going to win. And so many other people, like friends and family and stuff would be like, you're not going to win that fight. But then there's other guys like, no, you're going to kill that guy. But 
you got to find a happy medium where you, get, you do it in a controlled environment. And in the USC, I was able to do that. Mate, talk to me. There's so much I want to speak to you about. Now, from cutting weight to the mentality, right? You've got, when you've made a name for yourself in the UFC, the Huntington Beach bad boy, that's your nickname kind of thing for your UFC fight name, right? So you're coming into the UFC, let's say you're first in Shamrock, for example, or Liddell or Evans, Katua, all these huge name people that you've fought. You've got winners that go, yeah, you've got this, you can win. You've got people like, you're never going to win this, you suck. And you've got your side chair critics and people that smash you online. Although online wasn't as bad back then. No. Talk to me, how do you manage that, mate, mentally, when you're the only person, right? Like you mentioned, you walk into that squared circle or whatever you call it, that's the boxing term, but the UFC, the octagon, when you walk in there, you're fighting you said for your fans, for the people who believe in you. Like, how do you manage that, man? Like, how do you manage that whole process in your mindset? How did Tito do that? I think a lot of it is psychological of uh, having a positive mentality, having a positive reinforcement in your mind, knowing that you can do it. And as I got older through, I think 15 years later, I realized that I look back is, is every rock turn turned behind me? Have I done everything possible to win the fight? And every fight that I've won, I've done that. There's been fights that I've lost that I didn't do it. There's rocks that weren't unturned. And I look back and go, damn, I wish I would have done this. I wish I would have done that. And that usually happens when you wrap your hands. When you wrap your hands right before the fight, that's when those questions start coming about. And the, all the fights that I've won, I could look back when I was wrapping my hands because I always wrap my hands myself. It was like, you're ready, dude. You're ready. And it's a lot of psychological stuff that I go through myself. And I think I want to make, it just makes me responsible for my actions that I understand that. Did I do all the running? Did I do all the sprinting? Did I do all the sparring? Did I do all the wrestling? Did I do all the jiu-jitsu? Do I do all the weight training? And did I do it as much as I possibly could for as long as I possibly could get that time in? And when I won, yes. The times that I lost, no. I mean, there was injuries that offset things. And once again, we made okay money. I think I was one of the first UFC fighters to make a million, but it was not the boxing money where my children could be wealthy. I'm still a blue collar man now. I still got to work. I still got to you know, show up and make money to pay for my bills. And, you know, people say, they look at my estate that I have $20 million. Well, you understand that $20 million that I've made, half of that went to taxes. Money went to my training partners. Money went to workout gear, to food, to having housing where I was up in Big Bear. There was so much stuff that went in that I'm still a blue collar guy. I still work and my people ass People don't up. say that. People don't understand all those little intricacies and the things that you have to cover and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's challenging, you know, and when UFC first started, I get it. They put in $15 million to kind of save the business, to make it what it was. But we were the fighters out there putting our lives on the line, you know. I've had eight surgeries. I've had four neck surgeries. I've had a back surgery. I've had three knee surgeries. I've had a reattached retina in my eye. But I'm a warrior, man. I've always been a warrior. I've always been a person to take the challenges and thrive and make the best out of what was in front of me. And I will always do that. That's just me. I'm a fighter. I mean, maybe this fighting is not something I want to do. I'm nothing I've ever wanted to do, but that was my golden ticket. <laughs> that was my golden ticket because I worked hard. I put my life on the line every single day of working hard as I possibly could. I mean, I remember having a ruptured disc in my neck before UFC was a UFC 106 against Forrest Griffin and have, was it a fractured orbital bone? And I still fought. I remember at the Wayans, I kind of remember the Wayans a little bit. I remember having my sunglasses on. People going, why does Steve have his sunglasses on the Wayans? Because I had a black eye and I wanted to show that I had a black eye. And, no but it's just small things like that that I've learned through my career that made me 
a stronger soul, made me a stronger man because I didn't quit. I didn't sit there and go, you know what? I'm injured. I'm pulling the fight. No, I stepped up and I fought either way. Mate, you're an absolute machine to absolutely say the least. Now, is it a sense of letting go though, man? Like when you wrap in those hands and you go, okay, I've put in all the work. I've done all the work. I've done everything I can. My mindset's strong. I'm disciplined. Is it a sense of kind of like letting go now? Now it's time just to just be. Is that kind of what well, you're doing? I, I walk you through right when usually it was Burt Watson that said, all right, let's roll right before the fight, right before we're ready to walk out. And I usually go in the bathroom and I would throw up and I'd grab my Mexican American flag and I put it on my shoulder. And as I was walking out to the cage, tears would start coming down my eyes. And this wasn't until like 2008 that I realized what it was. And it was fear leaving my body. It was the fear that I was afraid to lose left my body. So as soon as I stepped on that cage canvas, I felt invincible. I felt like a warrior that put in the work and was ready to die for his cause. It wasn't about the money at that time. Every time I fight, it's never about the money when I step in the cage. It's never about it. nothing in my mind. thinking back, well, if you win, you get this much more. No, it's my name. It's my word. It's everything I put into it is for my fans, the hard work I put into it for my trainers to my sparring partners, to my family, to everybody that has given me the positive reinforcement to that point, it's time for me to perform. And there's been a lot of out-of-body experiences that I've had when I fought in the cage of, I'm one of the kids up in the audience watching me compete. Mm. And it's weird because then like wow. you get punched and all of a sudden reality comes back. And you're like, oh, I'm the one in here. Yeah, but that's once again, crazy. It's kind of like a dream. You know, it's a dream and your body goes on just on second mode of, it's just one thing leads to another. I really just have sat back and thought about it. And it was, it's scary. It's very scary. But the wins are glorious. The wins are the most magnificent feeling in the world. And the losses are the most heart-wrenching, embarrassing feelings you could ever feel. Because you feel like you let down the world. But I come to realize that you can pick yourself back up and you can continue the next day. And that's, How do you let go of that, though, man? How do you let go like that feeling like I'm sensing it and I can hear what you're trying to say. It's kind of like you're trying to please everyone by winning and making the fans happy and all that sort of stuff. But like, let's look at the streak where you went on in, I think it was around what, 2006 to 2011. There was a streak of losses there and you made one of them a monumental comeback and it was outstanding. It was a guillotine. It was against Baden. Now talk to me like when you've lost fights like that and we'll talk about the wins yep you lost five fights talk to me was it five fights or five years five fights wasn't five it? Yeah. fights four years four years now talk to me like what's going through your mind there man like you're a man that wants to please people do well for the fans do well for the world show up give it your best how do you come back from that man like how do you mindset come back from that like what I do you tell yourself and people don't really get this unless they do it themselves, is we have personal lives. And the personal lives affect every fighter. The girl you're dating or you're the girl you're with or the people you're around, if you have that negativity around you, you start indulging in that. You start believing what they're saying. And at that time, I was with my ex, and it was that situation where I was heckled all the time and talked trash on them, just like my father. It was just... It affected me mentally so much that when it came to going to the gym, it wasn't me in the gym. And in 2011, I was with my ex and I told her, we're not going to talk to each other. She goes, what do you mean? I go, give me eight weeks. We're not going to talk to each other. We slept in the same bed, same house. I took care of my kids in the morning, got them to school, came back, took a nap, got up, 
went trained for three hours, came back, got him from school, got him back home, got a nanny to come and watch. And I did that for eight weeks. And like I said, we slept in the same bed and I had never had, didn't have any contact with her. I got away from the negativity. That negativity can take advantage of your mind, you can take advantage of your body so much that you start believing that it's true. 2011, when that happened, I knew I was going to win. I knew I did everything positive. I knew that the, every, that's the fight that I look back and every rock was unturned behind me. I come to realize that I had to take responsibility for my actions outside of the ring, not only in the gym or in the cage, but with my family. I had to look out for the future of my children. I had to make sure that their future is going to be positive. I had to make sure their future is going to be great and grand and not repeat life in general. You know, I had to break that chain and I did. And when I beat Ryan Bader, that feeling, there was no feeling like that. I dreamt about winning. I dreamt about getting my hand raised and I put in the work. And I remember that morning that I woke up and I was staying at the win in Las Vegas. Everybody was staying at the MGM. And I like to stay away from the arena area because I want my peace. I want my quiet during fight time. And I remember waking up in the morning after the win and raising the shutters in my hotel room and the sun was just blasting through my room. And when it was blasting through my room, it was right across from the palazzo. And the palazzo, there's a big diamond glass at the very top. And the sun shined through that and it put sparkles. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Yeah. for my whole room 
well, like I said, I'm not really a huge religious person. You know, I believe there's a higher source, but I'm very more of a spiritual person. And my grandfather was a pastor in Hawaii. And I think that was his, one of his times that he looked down upon me and says, there you go. Now it's time to restart your life and make it great. And life changed completely. I got away from my ex. I got full custody of my children. I met my wife now, Amber Nicole Miller. We started dating and we've been together now for 10 years. And God sent me an angel and life has been grand since. Life has been happy. I've had my ups and downs still. I mean, it's life. This life is vicious, but I have to be responsible for my children. I have to make the most unselfish decision in the world. And that was for the future of my kids. And that's what I did. And it wasn't about me anymore. It wasn't about the love that I had for another woman. It was about the love that I had for my children to build them as real men. And I've been able to do that because now I have a woman that loves me. I think as much or even, I can't even say more because I love her so much that we love each other so much that we're so compatible on all realms. I mean, we don't battle against anything. And if we do argue, we argue about stupid little small stuff and it's for an hour at the most. Yeah. Mad at each other. And like I say, we've been together for 10 years now and we've never had no serious arguments. I mean, we never had nothing that's been crazy. It's always been just very compatible with each other. And I think a lot of relationships who are fighters with other women that, you got to understand that if you have a toxic person in your life, they're going to drain you. They're going to drain your soul. They're going to do everything possible. And I can go back to 2011 because Jason Perillo, who was my boxing coach, I was in the gym and he go, he took his hand pads off. He goes, take your fucking gloves off. I go, what? He goes, take your gloves off. He goes, who are you right now? What do you mean? He's like, dude, you're not here. Who are you? He goes, go grab a chick's purse and get your fucking soul out of it. <laughs> and I'll say this to you, to you guys because this is as real as possible. Yeah. Yeah, man. That's what I said. You know what? Enough's enough. And when I said enough's enough and I got back in the gym that next week, he goes, oh, here we go, Tito. Now let's do the work. And I did the work. I got my hand raised and it saved my career because a month later, Dana White gave me, or actually it was a week later. I was in Vegas for a full week. I was a week later. Dana White called me and said, Tito, I need you to fill in for the Rashad Evans fight. I need you to fight Rashad Evans. I go, I did it. It's in three weeks. (laughs) He's all, yeah, I need you to be the main event for that. I go, well, if you guarantee my next three fights, I'll do it. And believe me, I had a contract that was one of the best contracts in UFC history that I've ever had. And I said, if you give me my next three fights, guaranteed you cannot cut me, I'll do the fight. And he goes, ah, let me call you right back. Oh, Hour goes, I was like, all oh, right. Why? Started making my way back to California. And he called me up and he says, you got a deal. So I go, all right, no, put it in writing. Ain't, take, ain't taking your word for anything. Put it in writing. He put it in writing and that saved my life, man. And I made sure I made the best of the end of my career with the UFC, but it was challenging, man. You got your peaks, the highest peaks in yeah, the world, yeah. you got your lowest you know, depths that you could ever feel. And I, I felt everything. But once again, it's a challenge. You know, Is it a challenge from God or is it a challenge to me that what type of character am I? What type of person am I? And I'm a hard worker. I'm respectful. I treat people the way I want to be treated. I raise my children like men. I mean, I'm not raising little kids who are just, you know, they expect everything. Entitled children, my kids are not. They got to work for everything. And they're like, dad, but he has it and he has it. I go, well, his parents are different than us. If you want to go live with them, that's fine. But if you want something you want to work for, you got to be with me. You're like, okay. And they work for it. So I, yeah, like, and you're instilling good values and, and yeah. principles at a very young age. And it made it's congratulations too for all of the great stuff you've done over the past decade as well as you know reach the highs and the troughs and i'm glad you said that because mate you've been at the top and you've mentioned it you've had your lowest points where you've been at the bottom and it's really important that we shine a light on that because no matter who you are where you're from what you've succeeded in what you've accomplished in life we all go through that shit 
And I really want to normalize that for people that are listening to the podcast because from the outside, right, when we're looking at people like you, Tito, when, you know, you're holding up the belt, you were a reigning world champion in light heavyweight for three consecutive years. You went on the highest, longest reign of back-to-back wins up until John Jones Bones, I think it was in 2013, in the light heavy, he took it over. And, mate, you're at the top of your life. Like, people probably signing stuff, looking great. But, mate, as you've said, you've got your shit times too. And that could be behind the scenes with your personal life. Is that yeah. right? 100%. And I'll say this to you because I've said it maybe in one or two interviews that I've done. And I went through a really troublesome time. And I got accused for beating my girlfriend, which was completely false. And we've proven that. I had to go to court for it and so forth. And at that time, I almost took my own life. I almost did. And I was at that point where I thought nothing was going to get better. I thought everything's going to continue the same. I thought that, you know, my, my career was over. I thought everyone's going to think I'm just a piece of shit. And I had to check myself and I had to grab a handful of pills, put them in my mouth. And the first thing I seen was my boy's face. And they shook their head like, no, dad. And I spit them out. And that was a reality check for me because people that are listeners or viewers right now, we all have low times in life. There are some of the lowest times in your life you don't think you can get out of the ditch. And let me tell you, in time, things will pass. I guarantee you. Have a positive mentality. Treat people the way you want to be treated. And in time, it will pass. Because I had that reality check and it changed my life forever. I come to realize that God put me on this earth to be a great man and to raise great men. And my children, they are great. My oldest son, Jacob, he's at Arizona State University. He wrestles for him. My twins are 13 that are amazing individuals, very respectful. I mean, I, it's cool because you know you're doing a good job when other parents come up to you and say, wow, your kids are amazing. And I say, I raise them with two things, the word and their name, name of an Ortiz and the word of themselves. And that's how I raise my children. It's important because at the end of the day, that's the only thing we'll ever have. We we'll only have our word and we we'll only have our name. Everything else is just, you know, thrown hip side. I've been very fortunate to recognize the problems I've had. I've been intelligent enough to recognize the victories that I've had in life. And maybe the victories in, in life weren't the biggest ones of winning the world title. Those weren't the biggest victories for me. The biggest victories for me was to get up and get in train and bust my ass or to make the decision for my kids' future. Those were the, some of the biggest decisions because the things I look back on and my whole career has been amazing, but my whole life has been 10 times that because I've never saw myself as a victim. I've always seen myself as a victor and I always wanted to compete and challenge myself to make me a better man. I think it's important by doing that. Hopefully some of your viewers and listeners can really understand the things that I've gone through that we all go through it. Everyone goes through it. You know, it's not all of a sudden everything, you know, shiny and beautiful and you have everything great and everything's given to you. No. And there are some that do have that where life is a little easier, but the ones that come from nothing are the ones who achieve the most things and appreciate the most. And those are the type of things that I've had that I can show my children what I've gone through so they don't see it and they work their asses off to make it happen. But I mean, like I say, I, I'm just thankful to be sitting here speaking with you. I'm thankful to have a beautiful wife. I'm thankful to have beautiful kids. I'm thankful to have, you know, enough financial stuff where I could take care of my family the right way, where the, the water's on and the, the lights are on and there's food on the table. Yeah, there's exactly. clothes on their back. I mean, that's all I care about. You know, the extra stuff is just minimal, you know, the boats, the cars, you know, nice houses. That's just small things, man. A happy family is number one. And that's what I'm really, really happy about.
Amen to that, mate. And honestly, big love for sharing, you know, some of those very challenging and dark moments in your life, but recognizing that the route that you took and the decisions that you've made in your life since then have been the right choices. And mate, it's honorable to hear that from you and from your, you know, your experiences yourself. And you've had such an amazing career, but that's only part. That's not who Tito is or Jacob is. That's part of your life. Your life is great. Like you said, you've got a family and that stuff is more important. Like when you look back, right, at your last 25 years in professional fighting or in the UFC, what's one of your biggest takeaways, man? Like what's one of, do you ever look back and go, that's the biggest thing I learn about myself or I'm glad I went through that because this is what I've achieved. Like, is there any moment or moments sort of stick out for you or principles or, or was it kind of like it validated what you already knew, but you just did it anyway kind of thing? I think integrity. Integrity, I take out. That was a huge part of my life that I was able to understand that money wasn't everything. You know, I could have sold out and kept my mouth shut or I can help fighters get paid a little bit more money or be recognized a little bit on a higher stage. And it was my downfall. You know, I think it was really my downfall, but it was me as a child that not having parents that I couldn't trust people. And I made a few different decisions that probably weren't the proper decisions, but I could look in the mirror and I could have integrity for myself. I could have respect for myself. I really wasn't a sellout. There's a lot of issues that I had with UFC or even after that I had some issues with other people that I looked in the mirror and I said, you know what, Cheeto, you made the better decision. And I think a lot of my fans still to this day respect me for that. And, you know, I mean, up to date, I mean, over the last 10 years, I haven't even been recognized by the UFC for anything. Any, I mean, John Jones has eight world title defenses. And who's the first right underneath him? Me. They don't mention my name. They don't mention anything. And I get it. I see what they're trying to do. They're trying to snub me out of the UFC. And they've already tried to do that when I was going through uh, bad terms with them. And I get it. But I can look back on it and, you know, give me a little respect because I worked my ass off for a kid who had nothing had no one on his back to had no one to help him get where he was and to work his ass off to be the person in the cage that I was I did it all on my own I worked my ass off to it but I did it with respect I did it with integrity I did it through hard work and dedication and I look back on that and it was that was the biggest lesson I think that I learned was to do it the right way that way so when you went to bed at night you went to bed with a smile on your face knowing exactly. that you know, and you, you didn't do it because someone said so or because someone pitched you some money on the table or, you know, to be on the side of everybody else is saying this, why not say it? No. Yeah, I, exactly. You I, made your own choices, man. You stayed true correct. to you and your principles and made as a fan of you and a fan of the UFC and the fan of what you've done and achieved. Mate, I appreciate and respect that too. I'd prefer someone do that as opposed to not doing what you've done. So you've got my respect, mate. You've got my love and appreciation. And that being said, mate, on the UFC, I'm not sure how much you want to talk about it or how much you can talk about it and what's gray area and whatnot, but you've obviously seen it evolve over the years. And I've heard these stories, not from just you, obviously, in the past, but from other people saying there is a lot of shit that goes on within the UFC, things under the table and brown paper bags and people not getting the amount of money that they should be getting or promised fight deals here or promised this amount of money, but they never got it. I hear the UFC makes billions of dollars. What, what's the problem? Like, why can't they pay their fighters that was, the right amount of money and respect them? Like, what's going on? That's the golden ticket. If I had the answer, I could tell you. I don't get it. They're trying to run a business, and I, I understand that. What Dana has done for the business has been amazing. I can respect them for it. 
But for the things that for the fighters that help them get there, that's kind of tough. You know, we see guys like Chuck Liddell is trying to get an extra hundred grand from an attorney to help him pay for his house or he's going to lose it. That's harsh. That's really harsh. I've been in those situations myself where I had to fight right out money to pay for my bills. I was like, stuff like that is harsh. And the reason I say that, because I remember sitting at, was at the Palms with Dana White at the bar and Mike uh, I guess. out of jail. And they're talking about how much money he made in his career during pay-per-view. And I asked Dana, I said, Dana, when are we going to start making money like that? Because when you start doing pay-per-view like that, when you hit that million pay-per-view buy, you'll start making great money like that. Well, when me and Chuck Liddell fought for the second time, we did, I think it was 1.6 million pay-per-view buys, I believe. I mean, give or take a couple hundred thousand. But I made decent money, but nothing like the money he said that we were going to make from that Tyson was making. Nothing at all. And that's when I started questioning a lot of things. And maybe that maybe I should have bit the hand that fed me, but still I had to be I had to stand up for what I believed in. Absolutely. You have to ask those questions. You'd be yeah, silly if you didn't. But that was my problem was I was always the guy asking questions. Mm. I was oh, yeah. a critical thinker. Oh, yeah. yeah, which is great. This doesn't make sense. This something's not adding up. And I just Because you're, st- you're not a walkover person. You're not taking their word as it is. Like you're, If you're not asking questions, you're naive. You need to ask questions. I mean, it's life in general. That's everything. 100%. So you're sitting at the palms. You're not making the money that you're... Based on, and mate, you were there was a period in your life there where you were the highest rated pay per view viewer and sellout over a period of years of fighting. So, like, what's going wrong? Like, so who runs the UFC now? Like, who's the boss? Who's the owner? Or is you is Dana White just the front man? Is he just the face of the UFC kind of from a? I'm not hundred percent about that. I can't answer that one because I haven't been with it for such a long time. I, I can't. Really- I know Endeavor owns a company and they've been a huge turnaround for them. They're doing an amazing job. I haven't been involved with the UFC in a long time now, so I can't really answer many questions of what they're doing lately. But I see a lot of the fighters that they have are amazing fighters. But at the same time, you see a lot of them speaking out, a lot of them leaving, a lot of them going other places. And I've been saying that my whole career. But like I say, I don't live in that life right now, so I can't give a solid answer. I just know what I went through and I'm thankful. I mean, I'm thankful for Tita's buying the company. I'm thankful for Tita's giving me the opportunity. I mean, a kid who lived on the streets who had nothing to all of a sudden, you know, making his first million at 26 years old was a pretty cool deal. But you come to realize that 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 million dollars is cut in half when you get it. You get a million dollar check, you give the government $500,000. Now all of a sudden everything else starts shrinking, bills and everything. All of a sudden that million dollars just became 350,000. And you're like, oh, I got to fight it. Yeah, far out. That's crazy. So, mate, like, you're inducted into the UFC Hall of Fame, which is insane. Even I can't even say it in right words. Like, that's fucking massive. It's huge. <laughs> UFC Hall of Fame 2012 before one of your biggest fights. I think you did another big fight after that. You come back fight against Forrest Griffin. I think it was in UFC 39. And you won via a split decision. You've got... That fight, you've got the Rashad Evans fight, you've got the Katua, you've got all these big fights. What's been the hardest fight? And I know that we caught up off air back in Kentucky not so long ago, and you told me some of your experience around fighting and who was the biggest challenge. But who was it, Belfort? You are correct. It was Belfort. So why? Like, out of all of these big ass contenders, why was he the scariest, most dangerous, and why was it the hardest challenging fight for you? Well, you know, being a former light heavyweight world champion himself, I watched him. He's fought. He started fighting, I think, a year before I did. His boxing skills were amazing. His jiu-jitsu skills is a black belt. 
And his just his mindset of being so vicious was I knew I had to work, do the work. I know I had to put as, as the hardest like work I possibly could ever do. And I did. When we fought, I remember looking over at him and he was just chiseled like a Greek god. <laughs> in the first round, I went to go shoot and he hit me with a left hook and it hit me in the nose and broke my nose. And I've never had a broken nose in my life ever. And I ended up taking him down and I'm on top of him. And I see blood like just falling oh, all over. My. And I thought I got cut. That's what I, that's what I was like. I got cut. And I didn't want to lose because that was the end of my contract with the UFC. And they wanted to renegotiate for a lesser amount. And they said, well, if you lose, you know, the amount's going to drop even more. I said, you know what? I'm going to take the challenge. I'm all in. And I ended up beating Belfort in a split decision. Got my hand. And I think that was one of the hardest fights I think I've ever had. Because I remember watching, I believe it was the Patriots win the Super Bowl on that Sunday morning. And lay in my hotel room with a bag of ice on my face. And I take the ice off. I look in the mirror. My face looked like I was Japanese. I was just like completely flat. Like the craziest thing in the world. From having a broken nose. And it took a long time to to actually heal it up. I mean, it took a good four months. And then after it healed up, I find out I had a deviated septum in my nose where I couldn't breathe on the left side. So I had to go in and get nose surgery. And that was the one I think it took the most damage of a fight. But it was just... It was a challenging one for me, but I remember after the fight was over and people could look back on, look back and watch the fight. And after I beat him, before I got my hand raised, I run out, I grab my Mexican American flag from my friend. I run all the way out to the arena and I run up to the very top of the stairs in the audience and just wave my flag. And I felt so proud in that moment because I put myself in that situation because I do a lot of visualization before my fighting and training, visualize that whole moment happening. Oh, you do. You actually do. Do you actually visualize you've won the fight? You're grabbing the flag, running up to the... You actually run your mindset through that, do you? Yep. And you, you hear Joe Rogan say, what is he doing? He must like, go up there and see some girl that he sees or something. What's he doing? That's what I put in my mind is I made it to the top of the mountain because I got the win. There was no contract left. Now I had to renegotiate and they had to pay me more money. And those are the type of things that, once again, as I say, a lonely sport, the things I got to live with myself and I live with my mindset of how am I going to process the wins or how am I going to process the losses and it's always processing the wins because I always want to have a positive mentality of everything I do they talk about the bad wolf and the good wolf which one wins is the one you feed and that's the way I've always had mentality yeah mate that's so true I love that and mate you couldn't have said it any better and I love visualization I do a little bit of it myself where I want to achieve where I want to be in life how I want to be surrounded with the right people I think people and the people you spend most of your time with is one of the most important things in your life because you become the people that you spend most of your time with kind of thing. Mate, we are coming to an end of the podcast. I've appreciated all of this, mate. You're a wealth of wisdom and knowledge outside of the UFC. You're very successful. We could talk about a lot of things that you've achieved post the UFC and post your fighting career, I should say. But more importantly, you as a person, mate, the values, the principles that you live and teach within your own family is just a, is all respect. It's a complete... It's amazing. You've done some great things. But with the fighting career, and you obviously did a comeback fight against, I think it was Chuck Liddell in 2018. You KO'd him. Poor bloke got smacked. Are you going to fight again? Are you going to do boxing? I saw something come out just recently in the news. Yeah, thing. Someone's <laughs> called you out in boxing. What talks me through that, mate? Are you fighting or what? So this kid, this big boy guy, I know him. I was watched it, what's him. a YouTuber or something? Is he? Who is he? I don't know. He was a guy hitting pads with Jason Pro, my boxing coach. Then... All of a sudden, he said he wanted to box, and for some reason, I don't know if he made up a story in his own mind, he said that I told somebody that I wanted to box him. 
I know the guy. I shook his hands. I'm like, how you doing, man? Nice to meet you. Cool. And every time I went in the gym, I said, what's up to him? And I thought we were cool. Now, all of a sudden, you made up this whole story that I called him out, which it never happened. If I was going to call him out, I wouldn't sit there and tell somebody to tell him that I called him out. It was stupid. So he was either I the new calling out is clout chasing. I mean, this guy's trying to look for somebody to fight, and he thought he would call my name out. And if the guy wants smoke, let's light this shit up. I would have some fun with it. That'd be nice. But I once again, I sit there, and for him to say that I called him out, and if I'm afraid to fight him, he gets it, and dude, I'm not afraid to fight anyone. I fought everybody in front of me when it was the right time, right place. And I just didn't get it. But hey, I got about 10,000 extra followers on my Instagram at Tito Ortiz IG. So I was okay with it. But once again, the kid's just talking smack. Saying he's going to knock me out. Just like <laughs> boxing matches you have. He fights if you've ever been in. And I, I see he's, you know, a trained guy, bodybuilder. You know, I see some of the work stuff he does. And okay, the, everything changes until you get punched in the face. Exactly, a hundred percent. Punch in the face, hundred percent. But as I, like I can say, I don't even pay attention to that. I just kind nah. of rush it to the side. I don't give you a right thing. Is what it is. But you know, one of the guys I did want to fight was Chel Sonnen. I was trying to get him for a last fight, but he don't want to do it. He's afraid of me. And I just boxing or UFC, boxing or mixed martial arts. I still got my head on my shoulders. I'm still intellectual. Like I still have great conversations with people, and I see a lot of fighters kind of chase it over what they shouldn't have been chasing and. I don't want to get to that point. I'm happy now. I just relocated my whole family here to Florida. Life's nice. My kids love the schooling. You know, there's no crime here. Everybody are amazing people, kind, courteous. I mean, I was just in front of my house earlier and like three neighbors came over just to say hi. And that's how Huntington Beach, California used to be. And California is just not what it used to be. And I got to make the right decision and not be selfish for my own views, but be selfish for my children and for their education and for what the teachers are teaching the kids here in Florida is amazing. What Governor Rand DeSantis has done for this state has been amazing. And California, I'm not gonna say it's a lost cause, but it just wasn't, I wasn't a part of the agenda. I had to walk away and give my kids a bright future. Yeah, mate, I'm hearing you. I'm saying it and I'm saying it here, mate. I live here. I'm in LA. So, and you spent most of your life in Huntington Beach. It's where you grew up. So mate, we could talk for years, for hours. I appreciate you, Tita. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast, brother. And I'm grateful for you, man. I really am. You, Thank you. You've taught me some things today that I think is really important in life, especially around principles, staying true to yourself and you know, trusting that when you've put in the work and you've done enough, you've done enough. And kind of letting it go and surrendering to that and just giving it your best. But never giving up. I'm sensing from everything that you've said is kind of like this warrior mentality. When you're at the top, never give up. But also when you're at the bottom, you never give up. You got to fight. You got to fight for what's right. Yeah, yeah. Like I say, every single night that I go to bed and I look in the mirror and I brush my teeth, I say, have I done something good today? Have I worked hard today? Have I been respectful today? Have I treated people the way I want to be treated? And yes, every single day I can say yes. I've been very, very fortunate. And like I say, I got to answer to myself. As a person, I got to answer to myself. I can't tell my kids one thing and do the other. I got to continue on, you know, this legacy of my children because that is my legacy. My legacy is not being Tito T's, the Huntington Beach Bad Boy, the UFC champion now. It's my name and my children. That's my legacy. And I'm, I'm fortunate. I'm happy to meet the people that I've been meeting. Like you, we just met in Kentucky and it's so random at the bar. It was just completely yeah, random. And we ended up going to dinner and your fiance, right? Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, yeah. woman, amazing family. And you can see with how people are just so genuine and nice when they have a great family. And I found that with my wife and it's out there for everybody. Anybody out there who are listeners or viewers, please, it's out there. You just got to work for it. Don't let anybody 
be toxic in your life. Just work hard and be a good man or a woman and just do the right thing. If it doesn't feel right, don't do it. If it feels right, do it. And just do it the right way and treat people the way you want to be treated. Mate, you are unreal. I appreciate you and love it. Love this podcast. Love spending the last 50-odd minutes with you, man. It's been an absolute pleasure. Enjoy your day, man. Thanks so much. We appreciate you. Keep doing what you're doing. And, mate, we'll be in touch. We'll speak soon. Yes, sir. Ron, thank you, Sam. I appreciate it. All the viewers, thank you guys very much. Follow me on Instagram, Tortiz IG. Check it out. Come enjoy my life. And we'll share all of the details in the show notes, everyone. Like always, if you like the podcast, you love what you've heard, please rate, review us, subscribe to the podcast so we can spread this around, not only here in the States or in Australia, spread it around the world. People need to hear this stuff. Get behind Tito, follow him on Instagram. And if you ever got any questions, reach out. Like always, it ain't weak to speak. Big love, everyone. Thank you for listening in to another episode of It Ain't Weak to Speak. Please subscribe to the show and help us climb the charts so that we can attract new listeners and change more lives. If you found something very useful in this episode, please share and spread the love to as many people as you can. Don't forget to leave a review or a comment so that we can grow this community together because a conversation can save a life. If you want to continue this chat, please join me on the podcast Facebook group at living.org. I can't wait to share the next episode with you. But in the meantime, we're going to the top. And remember, it ain't weak to speak. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.